Why church? Let's have a little review of how we ended up here. The first week, we talked about strength in numbers. Strength in numbers. Why church? Because there's a strength in numbers. We recognize that we, we don't live in a Christian culture. Right? Our culture is headed toward individualism and selfishness and... That's where the culture is, and that's not a Christian thing, and so we don't live in a Christian culture. However, God has designed Christian community as a place where we as believers can gain strength to thrive together. Some of the things we get in Christian community, we get godly wisdom and counsel to help us from other believers. It is a unique way of worshiping God, a unique way to be obedient to God, as we love the brotherhood of believers that we find in the church. We also see that in the church there's an opportunity for spiritual growth and maturing that doesn't happen anywhere else. We also find that we get some refinement that blesses our life. We talked about the illustration of the rock tumbler, where we're all like rocks and we get into the tumbler and we, we roll around with the Holy Spirit and He refines us a certain way, right? So then we got to our second week. We talked about sinking in our roots. Why church? Because it's a place where we can sink in our roots. God has designed us with a need to belong. And by belonging, we mean fitting into a specified place or environment. Fitting in. God has designed us to fit in. And we all want that. We're all looking for that. And we know that Christians are not going to find belonging in our culture. But instead, we're going to find it in the church. That's God's design, and He wants us to sink in roots, and so we pursue belonging by sinking in spiritual roots into the Christian community, which is the local church. Some ways that we can do that. We just simply show up. We'll talk about that a little bit more today. We sacrifice for others. We just be friends. Be a friend to somebody. Be a friend to another believer. We turn from that individualism and selfishness that the culture is pointing us towards. We confront our own wounds, our own sin, our own brokenness. We take that stuff head on and we sink in our spiritual roots. Last week, we talked about meeting our needs. And we talked about how God has an infinite capacity and an inexhaustible supply to care for my needs. It's amazing. But... He's not just super Santa. He's not, it's not the buffet where I show up and take what I want. God has asked something of me. He's asked something of you. And that is to be concerned with his work first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to us. So that's where he's asked us to be. And so in that he asks us to be generously sacrificial in our church. A couple ways we can do that. One is to expend our time and our effort on meeting others' needs. Another is to give from our financial resources. And when we do that, we all get together and we're blessing each other. God meets our needs. God meets my needs as I work to meet others' needs. So, that brings us up to date. And so now we get to part four, where we talk about spiritual health. Why church? Because it improves our spiritual health. We've talked about religion some in this series, and religion comes from the Latin word to bind. So we can define religion as a system of beliefs and practices that I bind myself to so that I know who I am and what I should do. So that I know who I am and what I should do. So here's a question for you. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, are you ever going to arrive at complete, full faith and maturity? 
Anyone? No? Yes? And no one said yes. Good. The answer is no. At least not until heaven. Until we get to the other side. But then at some point, we're not really going to need a system of beliefs and practices because we'll be in the presence of the Lord and we won't need faith anymore, will we? So that would be like a whole new thing. I don't even know what that's going to be like. It's going to be amazing. But we're never going to get there. We're never going to be fully mature. But I think we can gauge our progress. Right? We can understand, yeah, I can make progress in the faith and I can have health and I can go along and I can gauge that progress. We can start to ask questions such as, have I drawn closer to God today or not? We can ask longer term questions like, what's my spiritual trajectory? Where am I headed? Am I following Christ or not? We can ask questions like, am I experiencing the fruits of the Spirit in my life? And so on. There's other questions we can ask like that. See, we think about health, and when I say health, of course we live in a, in a time and an era where health is kind of a buzzword, it's kind of a, an, an industry, and, and that's not bad at all. I know there's even some of us here, some of you work in health-related industries, whether it's uh, fitness or diet or medicine or whatever. And that's great, but there's a spiritual health going on, right? So we think of physical health, we go, wow, yeah, we go to the gym, we go to the doctor, we go on a diet, whatever it is that we're trying to do to be healthier. We think about even emotional health, and we go, man, I need relationships to have be emotional health, and maybe I need some counseling, or I need to figure out what's going on with my emotions. And there's also spiritual health. See, in the Christian church today, you will hear a lot of Christian leaders say, is my church healthy? Is my church spiritually healthy? And frankly, Brad and I are asking that question too. And as leaders in this church, we're asking that question. And I think that's a good thing that we ask these questions. But again, what is the church? I'm talking about an organization. When we talk about the church, we're talking about the people. It's the rock tumbler. It's you and me and each one of us. And so when we talk about the health in the church, we're really talking about the health of each one of us. There's a book, and frankly, I am just not a big book person. But I read this book, and I like this book. This guy, he's a good-looking guy, with this church called What is a Healthy Church Member? Right, And, and I'm, I'm reticent on books, right, because Jesus is the way and the truth. Jesus is the truth, and then the Bible is really the truth about the truth, and so anytime someone's writing something about the Bible, they're writing about the truth about the truth, and the further we get away, I get leery. But I think this guy had some good things to say, one of which is he said this. He said, The health of the local church depends on the willingness of its members to inspect their hearts, to correct their thinking, and apply their hands to the work of the ministry. And so in his book, he, he gives a number of marks, you know, ten marks of what makes someone a healthy church member, and I think that's really cool. But today, I'm going to give you five tests, five goals, five markers for how you can have spiritual health, how you can improve in your spiritual health, how you can grow. So we're going to look at five of these, and I think these will help us, in part, answer that question of community. The first one is this. If you want to have improved spiritual health, be gospel-saturated. You see the verse on the screen, Galatians 1, 8-9. Paul says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel 
contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. It's so important, he says it twice. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be gospel-saturated? We think about saturation, I think about the monsoon, right? We're just soaked to the bone. And that's what it's talking about. Being gospel-saturated means knowing and living and loving and breathing the good news of Jesus Christ. So to do this, we better be really clear on what the gospel is, hadn't we? We have this slide. It shows up on our, on our screen that's on the street, and then people get a chance to walk by and read this. So we call it the monumental truth of the gospel. The only way to have a right relationship with the creator of the universe, who's also known as God, is to recognize that he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to tear down the ladder you are building in your own selfish attempt to get to him. And accepting this, you must receive God's free gift of salvation, purchased for you by Jesus dying in your place, taking the punishment of death that you deserve, and replacing it with life in heaven with God for eternity. And what's your part? Simply turn from your sins and look to Jesus as your Savior, receiving this free gift of eternal life. So that's the truth of the gospel. The gospel is all about freedom, and we've talked about this, and we have talked about it a lot, and we're going to continue to talk about it a lot, because we as a church are going to be gospel-saturated. The gospel is freedom. In Galatians 5, Paul says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. We can receive this free gift of salvation, and then we can make every decision we have in light of it. I am more sinful than I ever imagined, and yet God loves me more than I could ever even possibly deserve. And that's what motivates us. So, we're going to be gospel-saturated how? How am I going to be gospel-saturated? It's an excellent question. I'm glad you asked it. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to preach the gospel to myself all the time. I don't know, you want to have a private session where you stand at a pulpit with yourself and preach the gospel, whatever. That's not exactly what I'm talking about. But when you're faced with sin, you're faced with temptation, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to respond to this thing in my life? Preach the gospel to yourself. Wow. I am really sinful. And it would be natural for me to walk in that path of sin. But wow, I'm forgiven. And if I sin, guess what? I'm still forgiven. Wow, in freedom? Look at what God's done for me. In freedom, I'm going to choose righteousness instead. Hey, I sinned. Man, I made a bad choice there. Wow, I'm forgiven. I can repent. I can walk into something new. I can turn from that because Christ has died and paid the penalty for that sin. That's how you preach the gospel to yourself. You can also be gospel-saturated by preaching the gospel to others. Ooh, he said, preach to me. Well, that's what it is. It's sharing the gospel. When we're in the community and someone is struggling, we have an opportunity to say, Hey, man, Christ loves you. That was hard. That was maybe a bad decision or you're struggling with something. Man, look at the freedom. Walk in that freedom. I'm with you in it. We can preach the gospel to others. And we can also have others preach the gospel to us, right? Man, so many times I need somebody to say something that's gospel-based to me and remind me of who I am in Christ. Ultimately, I need to order my life around the gospel. 
That's how you get gospel saturated. You order your life around it. I need to filter every decision, every thought, every motive, and so on through the gospel. I believe I can do all things out of that freedom and not out of obligation. So how does the church fit into this? Your Christian community should be a place where the gospel is preached into all aspects of life, both corporately and personally, and where you also can preach the gospel to yourself and others. That's how the church fits into this. We're going to be a church that's gospel-saturated. And a church is a group of people and a bunch of rocks and a rock tumbler, and we're going to be gospel-saturated rocks. Amen second thing we can do to improve our spiritual health is to be biblical theologians. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So what does this mean to be a biblical theologian? We've got to go lock ourselves in a study with a bunch of books and read deep things with you know, $200 words? No, that's not what it means. It means learning who God is by what He says and what He means in His word. It means we've got to be personally relentless in overcoming wrong ideas about God. We've got to be relentless in correcting doctrinal errors. We've got to be turning away from things like personal revelation. Well, I feel like God is saying... We've got to turn away from that. What does God say about who God is? That's what becoming a biblical theologian means. 1 John 5.13, he says this. So you who do memory madness, you know this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's what we have the Bible. It's God's word. It's the truth about the truth. We need to know what it means. That's what theology is. And you know, ultimately, as we get into it, we go, wow, there may be things where we read it and it seems like God has allowed there to be some latitude in certain things. I I think if I have a very good friend, he's a pastor of a Lutheran church over in Arvada. And he and I would not agree about necessarily everything we find in the Bible. He would think, you know what? He looks clearly at the scripture and he says, I think there's a place for infant baptism. And I say, you know, I don't really see that. But you know what? He believes in the gospel. He believes in the essentials of truth and faith and what the word says. And so there's unity between us and that. I have another friend. In my architecture work, I've gotten to know a lot of pastors around the area. And they all have different things. I've got another friend uh, on the north side of town. And his view of how churches should have leadership is very different than the way I think it's clear in scripture. But guess what? It's okay because we hold to the same truth of the gospel. And the same can, to some extent, be true right here in our church, where we can hold different views about different things. But we got to get right on the theology. we got to get united. We can look at things different, but are we united in the fundamental truths about Jesus and the gospel and forgiveness in heaven? That's where we need to be. So how do I become a biblical theologian? Study and understand the basic framework of theology. Yes, every single one of us can do this. I do not have a divinity degree. I don't know if anybody in here does, because Tim went to China. He was the only one who did. You can do it. I can. If I can do it, you can do it. 
You see on the screen there's a list of things we ought to be straight on. God, Jesus, man, Scripture, the fall, the resurrection, salvation, the Holy Spirit, assurance, the return of Christ, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. We've got to get clear on those things. And so I challenge you. Can you summarize what the Bible has to say on these topics? If you sat down this afternoon, could you write maybe one, two, three sentences about each one? Not a dissertation, but one, two, or three sentences. Say, yeah, that encapsulates it. I challenge you to do that. And then once you do that, you need to determine if you've got it right or not. You know what? If you don't have it right, get it right. One way we can do that is we can look at what trusted others have to say about essential doctrines. There you see on the screen, I've got pictures of some guys who I'm like, I generally trust some of the things they say. We've got C.S. Lewis, D.L. Moody, Bill Bright, John Piper. Now look... Again, these guys have written about the truth, about the truth. So I go, all right, there's things I don't necessarily agree with them all on everything, and I don't worship these guys, they're just men, and they wouldn't want me to worship them if they were still alive, some of them. But I would trust what these guys have to say, generally speaking, on the essentials of doctrine in those areas. And there's others who are like them. I couldn't fill up, didn't want to fill up the screen. The picture's a bunch of guys. So how does the church fit into this? Examine your church's statement of faith. Whether you go to this church or another church, examine the statement of faith and be united with it. Our statement of faith is on our website. You want to go there? You can go and walk through points on all of those things and say, oh, okay, is that what I believe? Is that where I am? Is that what the Bible says? Check it. And you know what? Brad and I and other leaders, we're here to help you walk through that journey of theological understanding. That's part of how the church is involved in this. It's not just, hey, you guys go figure out your theology. Man, I'd love to sit with you and have theological discussions. Say, hey, this is why we believe this, and let's get to some resources and challenge me. And like I said, I, I don't have a master's in this stuff. I'd love to learn more. I think you can sharpen me too as we're in the rock tumbler together. So engage us in dialogue. So being a theologian, that's a second way you can improve spiritual health. The third way is to be a prayer warrior. Isaiah 56, 7. My house, it's God speaking, my house shall be called the house of prayer for all peoples. For all peoples. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be a prayer warrior? It means putting the gospel into practice by entering God's presence through prayer, which is just simply conversation with Him. And we may need to turn from some bad ideas about prayer, because the world has got lots of ideas about prayer, doesn't it? We might have a bad idea like, hey, God is required to act when I tell Him to. That's not a good idea about prayer. We probably should turn away from that. But we go to the other side and say, well, God doesn't really need me to pray for anything because he's already decided everything. Well, that's a bad idea about prayer. We should probably turn from that too. Or last week we even talked about, oh, God is just too busy to care about my needs. That's also a bad idea. We should turn from that. And so as we turn from these, we need to go, wow, what are some good ideas about prayer? Well, here's one. We should pray constantly. The scripture tells us, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says, Pray without ceasing. That's a challenging verse. Colossians 4.2, he says it again, Continue steadfastly in prayer. How many of us are steadfast in our prayers? Why should we pray constantly? Why? 
Well, I don't know about you, but the struggles, the temptations, and the challenges of life seem to be constant, don't they? And so if they're constant, I'd better be constant in praying and talking to God and entering His presence. Amen? You should too. We also should pray in the Spirit. We should pray constantly and we should pray in the Spirit. Romans 8.26 Which we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. There's lots of ideas and a lot of them are not good about what all that means. But the clear point of that passage in Romans 8 is this. Our prayer should be controlled by the Spirit. So pray in accordance with what God has revealed in His Word to be His will. So how? How can I be a prayer warrior? How can I do that? First, know what to pray for. Well, how do I know what to pray for? Well, the Scripture tells us. We should pray for laborers in the Gospel. In Matthew 9, he says, Pray for the Lord to send laborers. There's many of you who are sitting here today who are an answer to that prayer that some of us have had over the years. Pray for laborers in the gospel. Pray also for the sake of other believers. Pray for them. That's what Ephesians 6 tells us to pray for other believers and their needs. 1 Timothy 2, 1-3 says, Pray for those in authority, kings and rulers and other leaders. Pray for them. Pray for them. Luke 6.28 says, Pray for those who persecute and abuse you. Man, those people who are giving you a hard time. The tax man or whoever it is is giving you a hard time. Pray for them. Pray for them. And of course, Matthew 6 and the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. We can pray for our needs. That's how we can be a prayer warrior. How does the church fit into this? The church is a place where we can pray corporately and share our prayer needs. Now, how do we do this practically? Well, obviously, we pray together on Sundays. Also, during the week, Brad mentioned he went through that long list, or at least it probably felt like a long list of gospel groups. Prayer is an integral part of every single one of those gospel groups. And it's a chance to pray together. And as a church, sometimes we say, hey... Let's really focus some time on prayer, and we're going to do that in October and November and December. One Sunday, we are going to turn this service into a prayer service, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So be watching for that. The church is a place where we can pray together, and we can improve our spiritual health as we become prayer warriors. Another thing we can do to improve our spiritual health is to become or be evangelists. Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. I love that. So what does this mean? What does it mean? Well, I think I think it means this. Pretty simply, sharing the gospel with others who don't believe it yet. We just trust in faith that we're going to share it with people and they are eventually going to believe it. Now you might step back and say, wait, hold on, hold on, time out, time out. I thought evangelism was something for specially gifted people. I go to Ephesians, it says, yeah, some are given to be evangelists. And you know what? I think there's truth to that. There are people and there's probably some of you who are sitting out here who go, yeah, I kind of think I'm an evangelist. I think that's true. But... Jesus gave us the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And that applies to all of us. 
And in Romans 1.16, in this verse, we see the gospel is the power of God. And so each one of us has that. So we have the commission and we have the power. And then in 1 Corinthians 4, it says it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. We are stewards of this message and we are to be faithful. And if Jesus has given us that commission, then we need to be faithful in getting the good news out there. And frankly, if the good news has transformed your life and you believe it and you receive it and you understand that gospel and you're saturated, you go, man, I want that for that person. For that group of people. For whoever it is. So, how do I become an evangelist? You're great, be an evangelist, how? How do I do that? First, know the good news. And know how to summarize the good news and communicate the good news. And frankly, it's not difficult. You received it. Each of us received it, even like a child, and whatever sort of basic understanding we had of it. And there's all kinds of simple resources available. There are booklets. There are pamphlets. There are slideshows. There are apps. There are websites. There are acronyms. There's all kinds of stuff. You have all kinds of resources for how you can be an evangelist and be equipped in that. Second thing you can do is look for opportunities. Think, who around you has not yet surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? I bet every single one of us can think of people in our sphere of influence who has not done that. Each one of those is an opportunity. Third thing is just be available. Again, is your life ordered around the gospel or is it full of other stuff so that it's not? Do you want to be an evangelist? Do you want to improve your spiritual health? Man, you've got to be available. We have to be available. So how does the church fit into this? Well, the church is a place that will provide you training. And we will regularly share the gospel with others. So we do. Upon occasion, we will provide classes and we'll say, all right, we're going to have an outreach class and here's a chance for you to learn some techniques. I love it in teen group. We're going through that right now. That's great. I love it on Sunday night where, hey, this is a chance to be an evangelist and we're getting this. But frankly, if we don't have a class or whatever, I, this is my commitment to you. You want to learn to be an evangelist? I'm no great evangelist, but you want to do that? You can come sit with me and I'll show you some techniques that are really simple. And I'll give you the PowerPoint where you can sit and push the button and go all the way through a very intense presentation of the gospel. Because as a church, we're committed to you being an evangelist. And yes, from here, every day, I've already this morning shared the gospel. We're going to share the good news regularly right here in our church. And so you may say, man, I don't know how to do this, or I'm not so sure, but I can sure invite my friend to come to church. You can do that. Frankly, if you go, yeah, i got this relationship with somebody, and I'd love to share the good news, and there's an opportunity, but I'm not even equipped, but I don't want to get to it. You know what? Talk to me. Bring them in. We'll sit together, and together we'll share the gospel with them. Let's be evangelists. Let's be unwavering in our sharing of the message of salvation. So the fifth mark, the fifth marker for how we can improve our spiritual health is this. Be a committed member. And the verse is, thou shalt be committed to your local church. Okay, there's no verse that says that. I wish there was, but there's not. And so how do we go, okay, we look at scripture. How do we get pointed towards church membership? Well, there's a couple things. There's just a couple. One of them, 1 Timothy 3, and in Titus it also talks about this. Anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder or pastor, 
He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be, and it goes on to list qualifications. Well, if there's no membership, why would there be leaders? Why would we have qualifications for leaders? There needs to be a membership. Let him who has committed the sin be removed from among you, it says in 1 Corinthians 5. Well, why would we need to remove someone from among something if there wasn't a membership? Paul gives us instructions on how to deal with those who disrupt the church. And if there's a need for this kind of discipline, then there's got to be members to discipline. So even in those things, we go, yeah, there's a need to be committed. And so I think being a committed member means this, uniting personally and loving one another in the local church. We can't just do this sort of by proxy. Oh yeah, the church loves one another and I you know, kind of associate myself with it. No, you've got to be united personally in loving one another in the local church. John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And if that wasn't enough, he goes on, By by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So if we see we're supposed to love one another and we see that Christ has established the church and membership of it, then we are to be members of the church. And it should follow that membership of anything needs to be accompanied by some level of commitment to it. So, how do I become a committed member of the church? When I have improved spiritual health, I need to become a committed member. How do I do that? Well, we need to attend regularly. Hebrews 10 gives us that command. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love. Hey, just like what Jesus said. Not neglecting to meet together. We need to attend regularly and faithfully. Another way we can do this is to edify others. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, the whole body, talking about the church, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There we are, in love again, edifying others. I can be a committed member by looking to edify others can also be a committed member by pursuing reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.20 We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And isn't that the first place we need to be reconciled? And where the world around us needs to be reconciled? is to God. And then to each other. Also can be a committed member by humbling, humbly following our leaders. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is not talking about the President of the United States. The President of the United States does not keep watch over your soul, your soul. Your church leaders do. And for better or worse, that's what God's called me to do and Brad to do. And our goal here in this church is to create space and to provide support and to provide encouragement to help you live and do these things. And yes, we'll provide direction too. Because see, if everyone's off doing their own thing, 
We're not going anywhere. We're going in a hundred different directions. And I love it. God says, good comes to you. Good comes to you when you obey your leaders and submit to them. Alright, so how does the church fit into this? A church is a place where you can be committed in all of those ways. But guess what? You have to do it. You have to do it. I can't do it for you. You have to do it. Look, we talked about health. We talked about physical health. You want to go into exercise regimen. I know Josh works at the Y and he does that kind of thing. Man, he could tell you, people who don't show up, they're not going to get fit. We understand that. Oh, I'm going to go on an exercise regimen, but if I'm not going to show up and do it, I'm not going to get fit. Or you want to go on a diet. You want to change the way you eat. You have to do it. It doesn't get done for you. You have to do it. And if you don't eat the way you say you're going to eat, it's not going to make a difference, is it? So why do we treat commitment to the church that way? Why? If we aren't committed to being part of the church, how are we going to have improved spiritual health? Oh, I can just kind of pretend. Well, can you pretend to have a diet? I guess you can, but it's not going to get you anywhere. And we treat commitment to church this way. We go, oh, it's just not convenient. I'm tired. I've had a long day or I've had a long week. I get it. I'm there. I've been there. I battle with that all the time. But if I'm trying to do an exercise regimen, I just go, I'm just tired, I'm not going to do it, nothing's going to change. And the same is true with our spiritual lives and our spiritual health. Oh, just stop, I'm so tired of the excuses. I'm tired of the excuses in my own life. Let's go back to Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Who? Who should obey your leaders? Some other people? No. You and me, you should obey them. And so at some point, we can flip this around and say, well, for whatever reason, God has raised me up here, and you guys have recognized me to be your pastor, and I can be like, hey, obey me and submit to me. (laughs) I can. I could tell you what to do, and I could make demands, and I could pound my fist on the table, and Brad could do the same thing too. But we're not going to be demanding. We want to exhort you. We want that because we want what's best for you. I want every single one of us, every single one of you to have improved spiritual health. And if there was some way to get around this being part of the church, man, I'd point you there. But it's real clear. It's really clear. That's what we need. So it's not for my benefit. It's for yours. So I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to demand that you have action. I'm not going to come to your door and knock on the door and say, Hey, do this stuff. I'm just simply going to implore you and ask you, Have you asked God if He would have you order your life and sacrifice some part of it to be part of something bigger than you? Have you asked God that? Have you really sought Him out and said, God, do you want me to do this? Do you want me to be part of this? Seems like it says we should do that. You want me to do it? And if he says yes, are you willing to do what he's calling you to do? Again, we go back to the very beginning and the culture is saying, don't do that. God is saying, do it. 
And guys, we have such a privilege right here. We may not live in a Christian culture, but we have such a privilege where we can meet together. I was really struck by this quote, and I'll read it to you from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Those of you who don't know, he was a Christian in Germany in the 1940s, and he ended up imprisoned and executed for his faith. And he said this, It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world and share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands, they stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. They remember, as the psalmist did, how they went with the multitude to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise of the multitude that kept holy day. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living in common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. Brothers and sisters, it is by God's grace that we can have this church, that we can be gathered together in community. Will you praise God for it? I do. I promised you each week we would have an action point, and today's action point is very simply decide today to pursue an improved spiritual health in your life. Here's those things again. Saturate yourself with the gospel. Become a biblical theologian. Be a prayer warrior. Be an evangelist and be a committed member of this local church. I challenge you today, take your spiritual temperature on these things. Where are you at? Where could you grow? What could you do differently? And so as we close, let's pray. I'll pray and let's ask God to help us be a church of believers who are improving our spiritual health. Yeah, God, we come before you again and... Lord, this is a hard topic in some ways, God. And we just go back to that very beginning where we go, Oh man, the culture is not going to help me in this. And the devil wants to pull me away from what you want from me. And that includes being committed into the church because that's where life is. All of these things, they're only going to happen when we're in this community. And man, God, we just confess it is hard because people are there. A bunch of other broken sinners are there. But God, the difference between the broken sinners that are around us in the culture and the broken sinners that are in the church is that the ones who are in the church are redeemed by Jesus Christ. And have your Holy Spirit living in them, Lord. You come to live inside of us, and so, God, we have something to offer each other. We have something to offer each other. And that's why we meet in community. And so, God, help us. Lord, each one of us is in different places, and we have different situations and different circumstances. And, Lord, we may be single. And we feel the weight of having to carry all of life and all of the burdens and all of the responsibilities on our own. And we can feel lonely. God, you've called us and said, singles, this is a place to belong. We may be married, 
And we're carrying the burdens for two people. And it's a challenge. And there's all these things we're trying to figure out. But God, you've called us to step together into the church, into that community. Or maybe we have kids and we go, oh, there's so many things pulling me so many ways and i got to raise these disciples. And, and yet the world is saying, go play soccer and, and go do this other thing and work a lot of hours and do this and have these things. And oh, God, help us to, as families... Be committed to order our lives around the gospel and being committed to your church. Lord, help us in this. Wherever we're at, whatever we need to do, help us today to make difficult choices. God, we recognize we're going to have to probably say no to some stuff. Lord, give us the courage and the strength. And I just trust your blessing will come upon each one of us as we commit to what you've called us to in the local church. Help us in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.